Bibles, turn with me to James chapter number 5. James chapter number 5. I hope tonight we can finish up this first part of this chapter and dealing here with money and the finances that God has given us, the wealth. And Boy, we've really enjoyed all the music today. Thank you so much for those who have ministered from orchestra to choir to specials, but you as a congregation sing very well today. And uh, boy, just especially enjoyed this morning and love those songs. And boy, just encouraging and challenging and have lots of life to it. I sure am thankful that we serve a a Savior that is alive. Amen? And uh, because He's alive, we can sing songs that are alive. And boy, they just thrill the heart and thrill the soul. Thankful for that. James, let's pick up where we are. We want to delve right into it. We've got a lot to cover tonight. And so uh, looking forward to this next installment of James. And, and uh, this passage, we've seen this. And uh, as we kind of go through uh, the points, number one, we saw how God cares, how a Christian saves his money. We're only going to delve too much into that. We had this a few weeks ago. God cares also. Uh, excuse me, how much or how uh, we save our money and then secures our money. And then the statement here we came to last week, just a reminder, we should not promise what we do not have and you should always give what you promised. And a good little principle to live by for our children to, to grow up learning and living and putting into practice day in and day out. And a great truth, even yeah, God's word alludes to that. Then we saw this statement, letter B of it, wealth should not be gained through the exploitation of people. So letter A was wealth should not be gained through fraud it means we're certainly seeing this from verses 3 and 4 verse 4 specifically wealth should not be gained through the exploitation of people and then we saw wealth should not be gained through the proliferation of sin and wicked vices and again we're not going to go back and review all of it but we're just kind of setting the table for where we're at then uh, letter d we saw this simple statement wealth should not be gained through unwilling expense and unwise stewardship of others and we made this uh, observation it's hard for us to lay up treasures in heaven you are fo- if you are focused on winning them here below. And uh, great truth we saw James bear out and I think even from the whole of Scripture. So now we turn our attention to verses 5 and 6 and the next installment is we've been telling you simply this that God cares about how a Christian spends and shares his money. How a Christian spends and shares his money in this borrowed outline from many a man that has gone before us. Verse 5 notice it at James chapter 5 it says this and he's speaking to these rich men again. He's, he's again leveling some more accusations. He says in verse 5, Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your heart as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Man, just packed full of some great truths in these first few verses. If we're honest this evening, many people bristle at the thought that God really cares how I spend my money, especially when it comes to how I spend it on me, on myself. One of our young men uh, came up to me after the service last week, and he was relating a, a discussion he had with another person and, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and how uh, that person was alluding to the fact, well, I went to work, and I'm on those, I was the one who earned the money that I have in my pocket, so it's within my right what I do with that money, how I spend it, and how I use it. Now, that sounds all great and wonderful, but can I tell you, it's completely unbiblical completely unbiblical. We saw this in our study on stewardship, that what you and I have in our possession, we must acknowledge is not mine. I am a steward. Most as jo- much as Joseph was in Potiphar's house, you and I are dealing with God's possessions, what he owns. And he has allowed us to be in charge of them here on earth, to use and spend and invest wisely for his glory and ultimately even for our good. I will say this, though, 
that God created every person, so in doing so, He has earned the right to hold us accountable for how we spend the money we have. He is the one that has redeemed us. Every good gift has come from His hand. Therefore, He has every right to instruct us and care about how we ought to spend it and whether or not we share it. James identifies quickly three areas uh, in which some can fail in how they spend their money or lack of sharing their money. Number one, you'll see it there from verse number five. We read it. He very clearly just, again, levels the accusation. You have lived in pleasure on earth and have been wanton. We would put it this way, living for self-indulgent luxury. Living for self-indulgent luxury. Um, he, he basically points the fingers that you've been living in and living for the pleasures here on earth. He uses the terminology, you have been wanton. Interesting word, isn't it? It just literally means that they have been excessively indulgent. Excessively indulgent. I thought about asking you how many of you were excessively indulgent over the holidays and food, but I won't do it, okay? Uh, we use this as an opportunity. Yeah, that kind of, what he is saying here, you have been excessively indulgent in this life. Now, I'll tell you right away, does that sound like something that a Christian ought to do? No way. We ought not to live for this life. If you want to be excessively indulgent in something, could I encourage you to be excessively indulgent in heaven? <laughs> not here on earth. Not, not this place that we are just journeying through. No. Don't be excessively indulgent here. And yet, that is what he is pointing out this is all after they have been revealed for how they gained their wealth their money remember we saw this they've accumulated their wealth and money by being dishonest fraudulent hoarding to themselves and even at the the hurt of others it's interesting uh, the greek word that is there in that phrase here in the our english translation you have lived in pleasure the greek word that that is translated from comes from a root word that means soft or in hinting at the idea of extravagant. So soft and extravagant living is how these men have been living. Uh, It literally means this. It means to indulge in luxury at the expense of others. And then that word wanton, it indicates an over-the-top pursuit of personal luxury. It means, okay, I, boy, if I'm going to be on earth, I'm going to live it to the hilt, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to heap to myself luxury upon luxury, and I'm going to make it as comfortable and as extravagant as I can. Uh, we talked a little bit of the weeks past, you know, the, the right kind of brands, this kind of thing, the top of the, the line and the top of the notch and everything. I, heaping to ourselves. That's literally how these rich men were living in what James, God, is condemning. To live with that pursuit of pleasure that, that uh, supersedes everything else. Where it becomes so influential and honestly it becomes maybe a, a small idol in one, one's life. The word wanton actually carries the idea of an immoral pursuit. When it comes to wealth and riches and money. Or as I even believe it indicates here, it, it literally alludes to an out of balance living. And boy, if I can encourage you about anything, I often say this, that if we would understand that one of the key words to the Christian life in every area and every realm, excuse me, is balance, I think we'd be doing well. 
Keeping a good balance in everything, and certainly it comes to the finances. We know that there is nothing wrong with being rich. In fact, there is nothing wrong with having money, spending money on luxuries and things for us to enjoy. But when it moves beyond legitimate and rightful pleasures, then you know what we're hoarding to ourselves? Not those things, but we're hoarding to ourselves. God has already said in this passage, we're hoarding to ourselves trouble. (laughs) And problems on the day of judgment god is not against us having pleasure your god and my god is not enjoying us or against us enjoying things above and beyond even what we need we know we trust him he shall supply all of our need and so he's promised to do so but aren't you thankful that god wants you and i to even enjoy beyond our need i think this is an interesting verse i I think it's one that is good for us to to dwell on Notice it, uh, Psalms and verse 30 or verse 27 of Psalm 35 says this, Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. That's interesting, isn't it? Let God be magnified. Who has pleasure when his children are prospered, when his servants are prospered? And certainly, yes, monetarily, but certainly in other ways, we understand that. Yet God enjoys it when you and I are prospered as every good gift comes from him so as you and i as believers and and there are times where god has blessed us with luxuries and things beyond just our needs and boy i am so thankful that god does that that he cares enough to give us beyond just our basic needs and though yet what does he say in having food and raiment basic needs let us be therewith content so it is a proper attitude and spirit, and that's what's missing in this passage. Here are rich people, and they, they have certainly basic needs met, but now their minds and their hearts are overactive in the sense of they want more, they want luxury, they've got to have this, and so forth and so on. Uh, they've got to have the richest, the best, and such. Um, and uh, we were talking this week and actually coming back from a game there and uh, some of the boys and we were talking about a football player who who got in a, a fender bender an accident and the article said that his base the the, the base cost of that ca- that car was one hundred and ninety two thousand dollars the base <laughs> I, I can't fathom that you know and one of the boys was asking me about that uh, you know car is it v8 is <laughs> i can't even smell that kind of car let alone own that I mean, you said 100, I mean, that's crazy. Now, can I tell you, God probably does not want you to have a garage full of such cars. I mean, he probably doesn't. Legitimately and realistically, God probably doesn't want that. I can't say he doesn't want you to have one. I can't say that, but this is what I do know, that God wants how you and I live to be in balance. Yeah, you own one of those cars? I sure hope you're given to God's work in balance that's the point is that these men were so about themselves and heaping and hoarding and and bringing everything to me 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 and i've got to have that i can't live without that be careful when that comes up and creeps into our vocabulary it's funny how we get about things isn't it we we say one day boy i couldn't imagine living without my phone then the next day we hate that crazy phone so much man i wish i didn't have it Uh, luxuries i mean yeah we're thankful god gives them but can i tell you we ought to be content without them right Uh, it's a good good challenge i mean it's a good truth that james is bearing out for you and i yes god enjoys giving us things but just as much as he enjoys you and i enjoying the pleasures of life he is dead set 
against selfishness, wantonness, wastefulness, lavishness, and the pursuit of luxury and luxury alone. And all that flows in and from a heart that is full of the love of money. Heart in which the love of money is beating strong. One has rightly said that the kind of living that James is calling on the carpet, this kind of living is the living uh, that is like someone lives just as if Christ never lived and lives just as if Christ never died. You say, what's the point of that? Well, if Christ never lived and Christ never died, can I tell you, you should live for you for right now. You ought to. If Christ never lived and Christ never died, boy, this is all you get in this life, and you better not waste your money on another soul. You best best just live it for you. Spend it for you. Lavish yourself. But I'll tell you, once Jesus Christ came and He lived and He died and He rose again and He brought new life to you and I, it changed everything. It changed our future. It changed what we live for. It changes where we set our affections. It changes where we lay up treasures. It changes everything. What we do with our life, what we do with our future, what we do with our pocketbook, what we do with our words and our thoughts and our deeds, and it can go on and on and on. It's all changed. But here, James condemns living in such a way. For If you want a biblical picture, a type of this kind of living, it was really marked by the prodigal son, wasn't it? He took all his dad's the inheritance, and he took it, and he went. And we know what happens very soon, very quickly. He did what? He wasted it, the Bible says. He wasted his living. What a shame if you and I get to home. (laughs) We get to heaven. And God says this, boy, I blessed you year after year after year after year. And all you did was wasted it on yourself. All you did was say, I've got to live luxuriously. I've got to lavish myself with all the best and the greatest. And what I think I... What happens if we get to heaven and reality sets in and and on that day of accounting, you and I found out, no, 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 we didn't spend it well. We didn't invest it wisely. What we did was wasted our living. What a shame that will be. Much like this prodigal son presented to us. This uh, or others around these rich men are suffering physically, as James describes. Worse so, there can be some around us who are suffering spiritually. But all that they can think about is heaping to themselves the latest luxuries, the, getting the next best thing. James is saying that you and I too can be found guilty of hoarding our money, fraudulently handling how we get our money, and heaping to ourselves luxuries while ill-advisedly spending our money. You see, beyond the needed, wise, and prudent saving and preparation for the future, listen to this. Beyond the the biblical preparing for the future and making sure we're taking care of our own home and our own family and in in many ways, in the future and the work, beyond that, can I tell you that our God wants the money that He gives us to be in circulation. In circulation. Not in circulation in the world, but in circulation in His kingdom. That's what His desire is. You say, how is that, Pastor Henry? How, how, how do we keep it in circulation? Well, I think there's three ways, that, and probably certainly more in Scripture, but I share with you just, just three this evening. Notice it. the first one is simply this. Share it with others. Share it 
with others. Take one of the basic teachings of Scripture. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Do you like getting gifts? Bingo. Treat your neighbor as yourself, as you like to be treated. Love others. It goes back, and you want a more concrete biblical principle. It's found in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, a principle that every Christian ought to know and follow. And we've been given. I have showed you all things. How that, now this is quite interesting, that's so laboring. That kind of goes back to last Sunday night's message. How we secure and accumulate our money. But having that so laboring, you ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Great principle. Young people, we often talk about how just coming off Christmas and how we learn this truth even through such a holiday and and giving gifts and so forth. And yet it is a biblical truth. But let me ask you this. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Because if you believe that, you don't give with strings attached. You don't give with expectations. You don't give hoping to get. You don't give expecting God to, okay, God, unload it now. No, you don't. You give because it's just more blessed. Are some of those things incorporated? Sure. But your motive in your heart is simply pure. You say, oh, yeah, I'm like, let's be honest tonight. That doesn't come natural. If you look in your flesh and if you look in the old man, it is not found there to give. It honestly is found there to receive. Uh, It is not found in the heart uh, of the old man. But it is found in the heart that understands that what you and I have, we have because God gave it to us. And he wants me, as he's given it to me, he wants me to keep it in circulation. He, he wants me to give it and share it and, and bless others as we know in, even in turn he will certainly bless us. We know that. Why? Because the Bible tells us without him we are nothing. And, and you and I know this to be true. Without him we would have nothing. We, we wouldn't. So he often gives to us so that we can share with others in different ways and means that we can be a blessing to others. Yet, our motto as Christians is much too often like the world's motto. If I could just throw one thought out to you, one motto maybe that that comes to mind, it would certainly be this. Much of the world says, get all you can, hold on to all you get, and then make the most of what you have for you. Make the most of what you have for you. Worldly mindset, worldly thinking, not not thinking, okay, I... (laughs) I have a Savior that I'm to live for and bring glory to. There are things that He dictates and instructs me to do with the money He has entrusted with me. No, get all you can, hold on to all you get, and make the most of what you do get and what you have for you. Unbiblical, yet we fall into that. Many a rich person in the world has such a motto. You and I know this well. There are many rich unbelievers that give to charities to get. They want a tax break. (laughs) They want their name up on something. You know, it's amazing how many buildings, stadiums, and everything else are getting named, right? And so it is. So they give to, to get. Certainly it brings up an old illustration. Many of us have heard of it before. John D. Rockefeller, a famous rich man, and we've heard a little bit about his story before. You, you, you might well remember at age 35, he was found to have a, a bleeding ulcer to the degree that, honestly, he was frankly dying. 
for much time. He couldn't eat anything but crackers and, and milk. He couldn't sleep for even a solid hour without being awoken by, by the pain and the discomfort that the ulcer was, was, uh, was causing him. It's interesting, the doctor's prognosis was grim. Literally, they said to him, Mr. Rockefeller, you are dying and you will be dead in a short time. That got him thinking. He said literally to himself, he records later, it is time for me to stop concentrating on making money, literally stop living by this motto, and start doing some of the things I always wanted to do and I ought to do. And so he did. One of those things that he got to doing was to give his money. To give to those in need, to help worthy causes, to help out where needed. And so he started to give away his money. Interestingly, the more he gave, you know what he found out? The more God gave back to him. And the happier he became. He later said this, When I learned to give, it changed my life so much that my ulcer healed up. Literally, he said, I began to sleep. History tells us, even his own story tells us, Rockefeller lived 30 more years with wonderful health. As he learned, here he is, he's learning the truth of a biblical statement, principle, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Straight out of God's Word, he learned the truth of it. Hey, how about this? Not only share it with others, but share it with the Lord's work. Often, we can close our eyes to the, uh, God's work. We can ignore the fact that it takes money to send missionaries, that it takes money to see souls saved. It takes money to provide the tools by which believers in the local church can grow. It takes money to build buildings in which to meet. It takes money to keep buses rolling. It takes money to buy tracks. It keeps money to keep ministries like RU and outreach programs going and flowing. It takes money to accomplish God's work here on earth. And God's model is that for you and I to keep His money in circulation by giving to the work, the work of the local church. He gives so you and I can give through that means of the local church to see His work accomplished. But if I am consumed with lavishing myself with every good thing, then I will have little concern for the work of the ministry. Every check that comes in, we're putting it towards that luxury. We want to go out and buy this. Uh, And sometimes what's interesting is we kind of um, robe our desires and luxuries in the word need. We just throw that robe of need over it, and all of a sudden, we've kind of put a little salve on our conscience. And we no longer take out the tithe that we ought to at the beginning. We no longer take out the faith promise that we, we promised. But I, I need this, and though upon close inspection, which we ought to allow the Holy Spirit to do, it is revealed that really isn't a need, that's a luxury. And we've learned this, haven't we? But yet sometimes we falter in it. When you and I take care of God's things, what did he say he'll do? He'll take care of our things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He'll take care of you. But how sometimes we forget that, when that desire and that want, and and, uh, we want this ahead of many things. Hey, you know how else we we share it with others, and then we share it with the Lord's work, and these two kind of go hand in hand. We send it ahead to heaven. 
When you and I give for missions and we give to the local church for the, the winning of souls and the work of the ministry, we aren't giving it away. We're sending it ahead to heaven. When it comes uh, to giving back to the Lord, what you give is never lost. What you give to God is never lost. It will be a whole lot easier to give an account. And may I say, part of what James says in this passage is that you and I will give an account. I like this. I was going to save it for the end of the message, but who knows? We may never get there. Okay. Uh, uh, Reality is this. You and I are going to stand before God and we are going to give an account. Now listen, I am so very thankful that you and I are not going to give an account for our sins. Praise be to God, those were taken care of at Calvary. I don't have to give an account for that. Praise God. But we do have to give an account for our works. Whether they be wood, hay, or stubble, precious stones, if they'll last through the fire, we will give account for that. And that involves how we spend our money, the very thing we are stewards of. So I will be held accountable for that. And my, how much better it is in that day when you and I stand before God Almighty. How much better it would be for Him to find a balance in our lives? Hey, for Him to say, well, yeah, okay, you took some of this and you, you did spend some on yourself. But man, you spent it on the Lord's work. And boy, you shared it with other people. You were concerned about their needs. And you were concerned about the work of the Lord. And, and uh, yeah, I gave you enough for you to enjoy life yourself a little. And wouldn't it be great to stand before God and you, you hear well done with how you handled my money? I, we see the parable and the, the Lord comes back and the three servants and one hit it in the ground. The others made profit off of it. Can I tell you, God has given to you and I so that we can make profit for him. So I can give to missions and I, I can give to the local church and the outreach programs so we can see souls added to the kingdom of God. So we can see Christians grow and are built up and exhorted. That's God's plan. And by giving and sharing with the Lord's work, you and I enjoy personal benefit of sending those riches ahead of us. Uh, sending them ahead to heaven. The mindset here is grounded on the firm belief that we can't take it with us. You can't, we've said this often, you can't pack your, uh, you can't pack your casket with your money. There's no way you, you can't pull U-Haul behind your hearse. We've said this often. It's based upon that truth. That there's no other way for you to take your money with you other than send it ahead by giving it to the Lord. The story is told of a man. He's the kind of guy that wouldn't say you can't do something until he tried it out himself. Don't mention any names if you know somebody like that. Here he was, and he said, yeah, I've heard you. You can't do that. You can't take it with you. Well, I'm going to make sure that's true. The time came when he was on his deathbed. He called his wife over. He said, listen, honey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take all my money. I want you to find a big old jug. And many of those uh, who are a little older remember the good jugs with the little handles on them and things like that. He said, you find one of those and you stuff all that money in. And this is what I want you to do. As I near death, I want you to put it up in the attic. And as I'm going up, I'm going to see if I can grab it and take it with me. So she says, okay, honey, if that's what you want, I'll do it. I'll do it. So she does. She packs that, that jug full of money. She sticks it up in the attic. And lo and behold, a few days later, what happens? He dies. 
The undertaker comes in, they take care of everything, all the details, the preparation, and yeah, time-consuming for sure. And, and soon that is all taken care of, and the wife remembers. Huh, jug in the attic. Hey, I'm going to take that up. I'm going to go check. See if that's still there. She goes up into the attic, and she looks, and sure enough, there is the jug exactly where she'd put it. She stops, and she thinks a moment. She says, maybe I should have put that in the basement. Okay, some of you get that later. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> some of you are going to wake up in the middle of the night and ask, Whoa! I just got that. Listen to me. The point is this. Hey, you, it doesn't matter if you're going to heaven or hell. You can't take it with you. You can't. You can try anything. You can be like this guy. and, and You can try it. I mean, you can't. You can't do that. But praise be to God, there is one way to send it ahead. That's to give to the work of God. That's to to spend it for His glory and for souls to be saved. To invest it in souls and invest it in that which is laying up treasures in heaven. It's the only way to get your money to heaven, your wealth. Look at the last part of verse 5. Notice what it says. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been one. We see that. Now, notice this statement. He says this. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. No, I mean, I like this statement. It, it, it really encompasses a lot of things. We would term it this way. That second part is this. He, he condemns the focusing on fattening yourself. Fattening yourself. Um, it reveals the blind focus, the second part of verse 5 of some. To fatten and nourish oneself without regard to two things. Those around us, others, in the future day of accounting. See, James is condemning them. Hey, you're just thinking about fattening yourself, nourishing yourself. And hey, friend, can I tell you, there is certainly a push in America and many other countries to live your life to do this. Fatten yourself, nourish yourself, man, indulge yourself. Listen, you earned it and you need to enjoy it. It's all about you. Yet that's not God's teaching. That's not his principle. Just seeing how God wants to keep his money in circulation. I, I like the statement here. He references the day of slaughter. And, and there is no concrete for sure meaning of this. But I, I think there's three viable ones that, that, that I've come across. And I think may be true. Number one, it could be a reference to the Jewish feast days. That shouldn't say days. That should say days. The Jewish feast days. What would happen on those days is that there would be a great influx of animals that would be slaughtered and killed. As you can imagine, the multitude of sacrifices and things and and much of that some of that they themselves could eat and so what would happen on the jewish feast days is this was a great day of slaughter there would be an abundance of food and so in those times that extra food they would indulge themselves greatly in that they would eat more sumptuously you could say And yet, what James is saying, you've lived like that. The the Jewish feast days in which this was the case, in which, you know, it it was kind of like us, maybe on holidays, when maybe we do indulge ourselves a little more. And it's James isn't condemning that. He's saying this, you've lived like every day is that kind. You've lived like every day is that slaughter day for the Jewish feast, where you can have an overabundance and you just gorge yourself and you indulge yourself. It ought not so to be. You've lived lavishly and you've heaped to yourself. Literally, you're fattening yourself. Uh, nourishing yourself, as he puts it here. It's interesting. and I, You know it well, but 
uh, here in Ecclesiastes. You can certainly turn there, but Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon describes for us quickly, verse 4. He said this, I made me great works. I, I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. We've read this before, but man, what a great reminder. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth the trees. I, I got me servants and maidens. I had servants born in my house. I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and other provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. There sure is a whole lot of my's there, isn't there? For a very wise guy, he wasn't very smart at this point in his life. And we know what happens. He has heaped to himself. He has fattened himself. He has nourished himself. He's gotten all this wives and horses and everything else for himself. And then the very next verse, you know it well. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity. You know the word. And vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. Man, you talk about a guy who nailed it, who said, listen, you live for luxuries and you are out of balance as a Christian and you aren't giving to God and sharing with others and, and you're just all about yourself and luxuries and, and fattening and nursing yourself. Hey, my friend, if that's how you're going to live, you're going to find vexation of spirit. You're going to find it empty and unfulfilling. You're going to find it vain. It, it's not going to do anything for you. Now, it could also be not only a Jewish feast days, but it could also be a reference to this. The beasts soon to be slaughtered. And, and probably there's more of a leaning maybe to this one, the day of slaughter. You can imagine as, as some of you have animals and things and maybe beef, cattle, whatever the case may be. And, and the idea is that the picture is of there they are in a pasture next to the slaughterhouse. And they're just, they're gorging themselves on the grass, not knowing what lied ahead. They are all in full security without a thought of the painful fate that awaits them. James is saying, this is how some of you rich are acting. You're smart enough to know that the judgment day is coming. You're smart enough to know you're going to have to get an account, but you're not living like it. You're living like it like you have no clue, no regard to what James has already pointed out. Remember how he described it. The Lord of the Sabbath is there. I like how verse 9 back here in James says, did you catch it? We've referenced it before. He said this in verse number 9 of James chapter 5 at the end. He says, Behold, the judge standeth before the door. The judge standeth before the door. I'll give you a dumb story. I was in high school. And uh, gym class, Christian school gym class, and apparently there had been some report that in the locker room during gym class, some unruly things have happened. I know that never happens in a in a locker room at a Christian school. Anyway, so apparently, and I have no idea why, my gym teacher decided to go hide in the locker room before the class started. So what happened? Here he is. He's hiding in the showers. And so we're all just changing out there, and, and lo and behold, someone just in changes just steps back there, and there he is, and he goes, now you tell me, 
what would a red, red-blooded American young man do? He stepped out and he goes... <laughs> and you can imagine what happened. Everything went quiet. That PE teacher came out of there none too happy. <laughs> Why? Because what happened? All of a sudden, things changed. Why did things change? Because the teacher was there. In fact, the teacher was standing right around the corner, listening to everything. Now, can I tell you, you and I ought to live like the judge stands at the door. He's coming. You and I, I remember being a young lad, six to eight years old, ten years old. And I remember in that day, the Lord is coming. It's going to be possibly this year. And it's got, I, some of you older than I, you remember that. And, and sometimes we kind of get lulled into complacency and not living in such a way that, wait a second, the judge standeth at the door. So here he is, James is challenging them. Hey, 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 don't be like a, 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 an ignorant, a, a dumb animal that doesn't realize slaughter is coming. Uh, don't be like that. And I think this third one, this is interesting, and some have believed this is the illusion that James is speaking of. It could be a reference to the heartless, selfish, vulture-like looters who in a day of great slaughter in a battle or a war would swoop in after the fighting is over and, and literally loot the bodies. They would go through and pick out the things they want, the things they desired off the corpses that laid there helplessly. And what James is saying, like, hey, you are like that. You, you rich men are like these looters that focus in on fattening yourselves with little regard for your fellow human beings. Little regard, sadly, for God. And what he sees, like human vultures. So James is simply saying in such a verse, hey, this is what you've done. You've nourished yourself. You've fattened yourself as someone who doesn't realize what's transpiring. You are like that. Man, it's some vivid pictures, and I think all three are appropriate. That's why I share them tonight. I think you can easily place all three of those in there and understand the context and the meaning of the passage that James is trying to get across. Number three, notice it, as we kind of broke this down. Certainly, first of all, James condemns the living for self-indulgent luxury. Then he condemns the focusing on fattening oneself. And then number three, this is really pertaining much to that time period. He condemns the controlling of the unjust courts the controlling of the unjust uh, unjust courts this is classic rich men controlling the system and wielding power not because they are in the right or doing right but simply because they have money and will spend it to condemn the just now we sometimes speak of this in our modern day how boy all you you don't have to be in the right all you have to be is rich and you can buy freedom, you can buy justice, you can buy the court ruling that you want, and that's a sad state to be in, but certainly true in, in James' day. I, I think this is what James is alluding to in this passage, is this is what likely happened. Back up in verse number 4, we all already detailed the laborers that had been cheated, the laborers, excuse me, who had been defrauded by the rich men. They hadn't paid them their wage. They'd held it back as we saw in that passage. Now listen to me. You would understand that those laborers, they're not being paid. Others who, who, who the rich man owed money and, and did not make it right, they would go to the courts and they would complain, hey, this man owes me money. This, this guy, he owns this field and this field. He has it, but he has not paid us. And you can imagine that they went to the court and trying to seek justice and trying to make these things right. And yet, as they did, hmm, money often speaks among the wicked, doesn't it? 
And instead of getting justice, the oppressed, the poor, the laborers of their, in verse number four, the cheated and defrauded ones became the victims of the court themselves. In other words, maybe the judge or maybe whoever is involved in that court system would come to the rich. Hey, did you realize that some of your labor showed up in court? Hey, but we can fix this. Hey, why don't you, why don't you just make an accusation that they were stealing from you? Well, why don't you make the accusation that they were cheating you and they didn't put in a full day? And, and, and what happens? <laughs> the wheels of justice move slowly, it said. Can I tell you the wheels of justice would turn on them to crush them? In fact, James alludes to it here that they themselves, through the means of probably trumped up charges that we just described, they themselves will be condemned and some would be put to death unjustly. We say, wow, I can't imagine that happening. Do you think there's anybody in the United States prison system that's there for something they didn't do? Yeah. Yeah. There's biblical, there's biblical examples of it. Biblical examples. Hey, good old King Ahab. He went outside and he looked. He said, oh, there's some acreage. There's some property. There's a vineyard I want. It belonged to Naboth. Naboth, Ahab approached him and said, hey, 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 I want to buy this. How much you want for it? Uh, it's a family thing and I, I don't want to sell it. No, 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 no. Money. Everybody has a price. You ever hear that? Everybody has a price. So what? Just name it. Just name it. I'm the king. I will give it to you. No, no. I don't want to sell it. I don't want to sell it to you. Well, be careful. Then comes in the lady. Wicked Jezebel. And when she comes in, she says, I got this, honey. Don't you worry. I like Patch the Pirate's song about this, right? He, the kids know it. He went and cried on his bed, right? And Jezebel said, I'll go take care of it. So what does she do? Listen, she goes, she hauls Naboth before the court. And in that, she brings up trumped up charges. She gets false witnesses and a crooked judge, crooked court system. And what happens? Naboth, in 1 Kings chapter 21, is put to death. A completely just and innocent man. Why? Now listen to me. All because somebody had a love of wealth and possessions. Listen, it happened in the Old Testament. James alludes to it even here. In fact, James chapter 2, verse 6. You remember we studied that verse. And he said uh, to this effect, But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? So this is something that's going on and transpiring in that day. Can I tell you that, that riches and money spent to procure, this is what James is condemning, riches and money spent to procure an illegitimate court ruling and to do away with a problem person, either by putting them to death or even taking all that they have and sending them into bankruptcy to the degree that they die in an impoverished state. James says, listen, you've done wrong. Now, I don't think, and I, I would not suspect that you and I spend our money in such a way, but it is a great warning. Be careful how you spend your money. Be careful how you, how you use your money to do things for you. I'm amazed, isn't it? How, how, and we think that this, for us, maybe we're a little bit removed of it, but Josh and, and, and other missionaries always talk about how you have to go into some places and you're getting a, a government permit and the guy's hand is basically sticking under the table and says, give me some money. 
Isn't that funny how uh, most of the world it works that way? You can just buy, I mean, you, can, you can procure things for yourself that way. And not to say that is here nor there. Here, I, I just talk, That's how culture often works. So we too must be careful. But you know what I think is neat about this? And what even for us on our behalf um, is important to note is that there is an exhortation of encouragement for you and I. Did you notice the last part of that verse, verse 6? He says this, and he doth not resist you. I don't think that's referring to the righteous or the just man. I, I think it's literally referring to God that is presently at the door. In other words, he's saying this. He's not intervening at the moment. He's holding back the swift judgment that will one day befall them all. In fact, he's allowing them, and as he is for even you and I today, he's allowing them to choose their actions while also choosing their judgment by extension. God in heaven has not prevented these, uh, these rich men from doing what they're doing. He has, he has not resisted them and stopped them yet. That time is coming. As is always the case, now listen, young person, as is always the case with the pleasures and benefits of sin, all bad things must come to an end. So James is saying, listen, it, this will not last. So Christian, beware how, how, how you save your money. Beware how you secure it and earn it. Beware how you spend your money because this too shall come to pass. This too shall end. It really then continues, I think, and he concludes it there in just the beginning of verse 7, and we're done. Notice it. Verse 7, he says this, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. I've said it often, I'll say it again. This is really an encouragement to you and I that if we are doing right, we will be found faithful. There's nothing to dread about the day of judgment. If others are treating you wrongfully, treating us wrongfully, God is the great judge who will hold all accountable. Can I tell you, outside of certainly the the joy of seeing Jesus Christ and uh, the pure rapture we will enjoy when that happens, can I tell you this? One of the great things about the return of Jesus Christ is that He will set everything right. From the millennial kingdom on, everything is going to be set right. And I don't know about you, but I sure am looking forward to that day. When our great judge is coming, and He'll take care of all things. So, you and I ought to be encouraged, we ought to be challenged, we ought to be exhorted to do exactly what this says. We said a moment ago, we may not be judged for our sins. That's taking care of Calvary, but we will be judged for our works. How we use the very money He's given us. How we secure it. How we spend it. And how we save it. May you and I be found to be wise stewards of His money. Father, thank You so very much for this truth and this great passage here to James 5. Father, I thank You for the truth that it bears out. And Father, that we can, boy learn much from. I I pray we take these things to heart, that we would be, uh, Lord, challenged in the ways that we handle your money. And Father, what we do with it, may we continue to have a heart to put it back in circulation so that you can use it, that your work would be furthered because of it, and that you would gain glory through it. Father, bless in these things. Help us now, as even in this
this week. I, I pray, Father, that you would uh, just guide and direct us, protect us, keep us safe, and Lord, bring us back on Wednesday ready to worship you. And Father, may these next few days, may we shine as a bright light for you. May we, in our works, bring you glory. May we please you with all we say and do and think. Lord, love you so much. Continue to bless. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Ask you